Well, I'm excited to look with you tonight at 2 Timothy chapter 1. So take your Bibles, turn with me to 2 Timothy chapter 1. We're looking tonight at verses 13 through 18. 13 through 18. We understand that this is uh, the last letter of the Apostle Paul that he wrote. He is in a prison someplace in Rome. He is being treated as a common evildoer, and he is awaiting an execution date. He has received a first trial, but during the first trial, everyone left him and left him alone, except the Lord was there by his side strengthening him. We understand that Timothy is a young pastor um, dealing with all the conflict and all the pastoral issues in the churches of Ephesus. And so there's a great distance between the two, and now Timothy is being called to Rome. This letter is a letter sent by Tychicus from Paul, and Tychicus is going to go and replace Timothy and watch over the ministry in Ephesus while Timothy goes along the way and finds uh, Paul's cloak and his books and his parchments, and he arrives in Rome. But meanwhile, Paul's not going to let a moment go to waste as he encourages young Timothy, who is maybe a pastor in his mid-30s, maybe late-30s, maybe early-40s, to, you know what, to run the race, to take the gospel and do not be ashamed by it. And so he reminds Paul, or Paul reminds Timothy, that, that Paul has been serving and worshiping God just like all the forefathers of the faith. The Hebrews 11 forefathers. And Paul is simply one of many who is passing along the truth and living for the truth. And Paul is telling Timothy, Timothy, you need to get in the race. You need to get in the battle. You are one in a long line of people that are holding fast to the gospel. Not only that, but his grandmother and his mother had the Holy Spirit and were believers in Jesus. And Timothy needs to continue on that legacy of faith. So what does he say? He says, Timothy, you need to rekindle your gift. God has given you certain spiritual gifts. You need to keep those active. You need to put a log on the fire and get a passion in your heart to serve other people. If your ministry is, is helping people, then be a helper. Get out there and help. If your ministry is giving, then give liberally. If, you're, if your ministry is mercy, then you look for people with needs and with a broken heart, find ways to meet their needs. If your gift is teaching, by all means, study the word of God and teach. Whatever your ministry is, you've got to use your ministry. Stir up the gifts that God has given you. But don't do it in your own power. Our own flesh power is terrible. So verse 7 of chapter 1 says, consider your resources. Remember, God has given you the gift of the Holy Spirit, which is a, a spirit of power, of dynamite. It's the Holy Spirit power as he works his word in our lives. Not only that, but God has given us love agape love, where it is self-sacrificial. We're putting others' interests before our own. We're thinking about other people. Ministry is not coming into the church and operating your gift and then expecting everybody to congratulate you and thank you and praise you. You may never find that. Good. You may never get it, ever. But you know what? We just need to serve with an agape spirit, just putting others before and being patient and kind and forbearing and forgiving one to another. But also a mind of self-control. The Spirit has given us self-control, which is the idea of having an accurate assessment of what God has given us and knowing when and and how to use them. Then from this morning, he says, Timothy, be willing to risk your safety. This is is verse 8. Do not be ashamed of the testimony of our Lord or of me, his prisoner. In Paul's eyes, he was a prisoner of Jesus Christ, not uh, not of Emperor Nero. And then he says, Timothy, you'll need to risk your safety. If you choose to save your life here on earth, 
live comfortably, live to a long old age, and have all the things of this world, you will lose the rewards in the future. Trust me. Timothy, risk your safety for the gospel. Do not be ashamed of the gospel. Do not be ashamed of the cross. And then also we found out, Paul says to Timothy, not only risk your safety, but, but remember the gospel. This gospel is a gospel that has saved us from the penalty of sin. Trusting in Jesus means I will not experience one moment of torment in a lake of fire. Never once. Instead, I'll be ushered into the, the, my heavenly home in the very presence of my Savior. Remember how he said we've been called by a holy calling? Not only did Jesus save us, but he gave us a holy calling. He wants us to live holy and blameless here on this earth. And then he goes on to speak more about the great gift of of Jesus Christ by saying Jesus abolished death. He rendered death inoperative. There's many things that cause us to fear on earth. Death is the biggest fear. But just like I said this morning, death is like a great gullet that swallows up every man, every woman, every boy, every girl eventually. Isaiah 25, verse 8, Jesus is the one who has swallowed up death, so death will have no effect on us. Though this body dies, I will instantly be in the presence of the Lord. And someday he will raise this body up, or he will transform it at the rapture, and I will be made into his image. I'll be glorified. And that is our goal. That is our glorious hope. So Jesus abolished abolished death, and he gave us life and immortality. These are rich. These are great things to remember. Timothy needs to remember he has the gift of the Holy Spirit. He has the power of the Holy Spirit. He's got a glorious gospel to to defend and to guard. Next, we found out that um, in verse 12, he's got great, uh, verse 11, he's got a great duty to do. Um, If we don't tell people about the gospel, who will? Paul says he was appointed, he was divinely commissioned by God himself to preached the gospel, he had the authority of an apostle, and he also had the content to teach all the doctrines of truth. And so we have to remember, we have a spiritual duty. If people do not hear the gospel from us, who will they hear it from? Um, we, we who have the good news should make sure everybody that, that we know knows it. And then finally, this morning, we talked about our security, just resting in our security. Paul says, Timothy, do not be afraid of anything that can come against you. Paul says, for I know whom I have believed. He had an intimate relationship with the, with the Son of God. It wasn't a church. It wasn't a denomination. It wasn't a doctrinal statement. He, his intimacy and confidence came from a person, a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. Paul says, for I know whom I have believed, and I am persuaded, I am fully convinced that he, God, has the power and the ability to keep that which I've committed to him. Paul said, I've turned my whole life over to Jesus. My life how long it is, what I do with it, my possessions, my spirit, my soul, all of it I have entrusted to Jesus, and he's going to keep it and protect it and give me everything at the end, that day when I see him face to face. Well, you can't go wrong with that. Give your life to, to Jesus. He takes care of it until the very end. We are eternally secure. Now tonight, we're looking at verses 13 through 18. There's one last challenge for Timothy. It is to guard the gospel. He has to guard the gospel. And so we're going to talk about guarding the gospel. We're going to look at verses 13 through 18. Let's pray. Father, as we now look to the text, this is inspired scripture. The Holy Spirit recorded these words some 2,000 years ago, and today they are as fresh and vibrant and real as the day that the ink was wet on the parchment. We are so thankful that these words have been preserved for us and that they are profitable to teach us and to humble us and to build us up and equip us for every good work of ministry. 
I pray that individuals here who know and love Jesus would be even more passionate and burning with a greater fire to use their gifts and to guard the gospel. And I pray maybe somebody who does not know Jesus would be confronted with the free gift of salvation and they will trust him with their life, that they will be eternally saved. Thank you, Father, for the glorious gospel. Help us to be vigilant, to guard this deposit which has been given to us. We pray these things in Jesus' name and for his glory. Amen. All right, so we're looking at verse 13. See, listen, this is great. Paul said, Timothy, I have given God something. I have entrusted him with my whole life, everything that I have. But God, on the other hand, has entrusted me with something. Now, if we expect God to take care of my life from here until eternity, then certainly if God were to say, Brian, I'm going to entrust you with something, would you protect it and guard it and keep it for me? Listen, the very least we can do is be careful to do that, right? We want to guard this deposit. What is the thing that we are to guard? Paul tells us in verse 13. He says, hold fast the pattern of sound words, which you have heard from me, and do this in faith and love, which are in Christ Jesus. Hold fast to sound words, Timothy. See, Timothy was, was in grave jeopardy to possibly lose the sound words of doctrine. He says, first of all, to hold fast to them. It's the idea of to cling firmly, to grasp, to clutch, not to let go. You're holding on to something. One of the reasons why people are not bold and courageous is because they don't have any convictions. They don't have anything that they can believe and they can rely upon, that they can say, this is true. When you know something is true, you're going to hold it and guard it and hang on to it at all costs. Timothy has got to hold on tightly to sound, healthy words of doctrine. Whatever the truth of the gospel is, Timothy has got to be careful not to tamper with it. Can you imagine if you were given a priceless artifact like the Mona Lisa, and they were to say, hey, keep the Mona Lisa at your house for just a week or so and bring it back. And if you brought the Mona Lisa home and you thought, boy, she, she looks kind of uncomfortable, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, to you know, put a little color in her outfit and put a little smile on her face, and you start doctoring her up, and then you re- they'd be like, no, you can't tamper and mess with that masterpiece. You've got to hold fast onto it. You, you have to preserve it. You have to keep it intact. Timothy has to take the sound words of the gospel and not let them be changed, not let them be tampered with. These are not his words, by the way. These words were given to him by the Apostle Paul, but they were given by Jesus Christ and on and on. It's, it, it flows this whole idea of sound doctrine. If anybody preaches any other gospel, just like Paul said, let them be accursed. Anybody preaches a different gospel, let them be cursed. Galatians chapter 1. Hold fast to the pattern, to the, the outline, to the, the truths of, listen, sound, it's the word healthy, like having a healthy body, nourishing. These are words that are building up spiritually sick people. They are seeing people saved, and then they are being equipped and spiritually, and spiritually nourished. What are some of these doctrines? The, the virgin birth of Jesus, his deity, born of a virgin, He lived a sinless life. He died on the cross in my place. He died bearing all my sin in his own body. He died knowing that every sin I've committed has been punished and and fulfilled in his own life as the Father poured out his wrath on the cross. It involves his burial, and it involves his his, his vibrant, exciting resurrection from the dead. It's the idea that all my sin was placed on Jesus and all of his righteousness is placed on me. These are sound, healthy words that save people and build them up and nourish them in the faith, make them spiritually strong. Timothy, 
He's got to hold fast to this pattern of sound words. Listen, every church is attacked in their doctrine. Every church is attacked in the gospel. There are really four, four things. There's kind of like four generations or four steps that people take. The first one is the group of people that treasure the gospel. They love the gospel. They think about the gospel. They meditate the gospel. They preach the gospel to themselves all the time. The next generation or the next group of people just assume the gospel. They've heard it over and over and over and over, and they know it. They just assume it. They don't really care for it. They don't really treasure it, but they have it. The next generation confuses the gospel. They're the ones that they don't really understand it, so if somebody adds to it, it doesn't matter. Let's add in some type of doctrine. Um, Any other way of salvation, man's works, some ritual, some tradition, some religion, they're confusing the gospel. And then the last generation, they don't even have the gospel. So you have a group that treasures the gospel. You have a group that they have it, but they just assume it. They don't really care. Then you get the group that's confused, and then the next group doesn't even have it at all. You know what I think is the, the one that has the greatest responsibility in that group of people? Those who assume it. They're the ones that start everybody off in the wrong path. If this church just assumes the gospel because we've heard it over and over, and we just say, yep, yeah, that's true, but there's no longer a fire or a love or a passion for Jesus' death on the cross for me. He died for me in my place. He purchased me as his own possession. He bought me with the greatest price ever. He paid all of my sin once for all on the cross, and he rose from the dead. If that doesn't move you, if that doesn't grip you, you are already in the next group. And the next group is just going to confuse it. The greatest blame goes on the group that just assumes the gospel. Timothy cannot assume the gospel. He's got to hold fast to these sound words. Every single one of you should be trained and you should know your scriptures so you could come to Bible verses about salvation, about eternal security, about propitiation, sanctification, glorification. We should know all these words. What's redemption? Jesus' death purchased me out of the slave market of sin. I was a slave to sin. I'm no longer a slave to sin. What's the other idea of redemption? He purchased me with a price, and he set me free. So now I'm free to serve who I want. I can choose to serve my sin. I can choose to serve Christ. We need to know these doctrines and hold fast to them. Guard the gospel, Timothy. Hold fast the pattern of sound words, which you have heard from me. We're already beginning to get the idea of this whole link of chain of passing on truth. Somebody gave it to Paul. Paul is giving it to Timothy. Timothy's got to give it to others, and others have to give it to others. Listen, this church should be around the day of the rapture. Who knows when the rapture is going to be? It could be tonight. Then it's done. It could be 100 years from now. Would it not be grieving if on this corner the gospel became assumed and confused and lost, and on the day of the rapture this church isn't even affected? Can you, do you think we could ever get like that? I know of Bible colleges that at one time were teaching people how to present the gospel and see many people saved. Today, you could go there and they don't even believe in God. It is, you are, we are just one step removed from failure, one step removed from going into confusion and lostness in the gospel. Timothy, is, do you see why Paul's so passionate? He could die at any moment. He just wants to make sure somebody's going to take that gospel to the next person. And then make sure that person gets the gospel and the next person gets the gospel. Hey, we're talking in Sunday school about Moses' life. And you know his mom has only a few short years to teach and train Moses. 
before Moses goes to live with the Pharaoh's daughter in the Pharaoh's house. He's going to get an Egyptian name. He's going to be raised up in an Egyptian household. He's going to have all the Egyptian um, disciplines, astronomy, math, science, chemistry, all sorts of things he will be taught and trained. His mom has three to four years. That's it. Before she sends Moses off, she has got to instill in him the gospel. She has to instill in him the value that the God of Israel is the God of the world and needs to be served. How does she do that? Do you see? She's, she doesn't have much time. She doesn't have 18 years before the boy leaves the house. He's going to go away as a three- or four-year-old, and somehow he needs to retain that in his heart, a love for the gospel, a love for the Messiah, a love for the one who will pay for the sins of the world. She has such a task. And you know what? When Moses is 40 years old, God puts it in his heart, he's going to deliver Israel out of Egypt. Oh, can you imagine? What a story. Timothy, hold fast the pattern of sound words. Listen, which you have heard from me. How is he to hold on firmly to these sound words? Listen, in faith and love, which are in Christ Jesus. He needs to do his theology without doubting. He needs to have trust in God. Trust that this is exactly what God says, and I'm not going to tamper with it. And anybody who says different, I will not associate with. I'm not going to, I'm not going to, to, to join them if they have a different gospel. They have to do it with faith, but also that's faith towards God, and then love, love towards men. We need to be compassionate about people. You know how we speak the truth? In love. We don't hit people over the head with the Bible. We don't force them. Um, we simply display the love of God and the message of God, and let the Holy Spirit do the work. So we, ha- we have to hold to truth and to solid doctrine, to sound, healthy doctrine, trusting God and having love for men, which is in Christ Jesus. Now he goes on in verse 14, and basically he's going to emphasize the same truth. That good thing, he now calls the gospel, these sound words, a good thing. That good thing which was committed to you, Keep, guard by the Holy Spirit who dwells in us. A few things about this. Just like Timothy has now given God the entrustment of his whole life since he was born again, God says, Timothy, I'm going to give you the entrustment of the gospel. You've got to do well with the gospel. You need to commit this, you need to commit this gospel and, and hold fast to it and, and give it to others. And so Timothy's got a great responsibility. Each one of you that knows the gospel you now have a tremendous responsibility. You've been given a stewardship, and someday in heaven, God is going to ask for accountability. What did you do with the gospel that I gave you? Did you bury it? Did you hide it? Um, Like the girls saying, did you display that light that's sent out to the whole world? What are you doing with the gospel? Timothy, Timothy is going to have this good thing which was committed to him as entrusted by God. The Bible says, He's going to keep it. He's going to guard it by the Holy Spirit who dwells in us. It's not in our own power. It is in the Holy Spirit's power. Listen, everything we do in the church should be gospel-centered. You know what our ministry really is? It is just speaking to each other the gospel all the time, reminding one another the gospel. It gives you endless opportunities to keep the gospel fresh. When you're serving somebody, you're talking about the gospel. You're doing it for Jesus Christ. You're doing it because he has given his life for us. Everything is always just keeping fresh in the gospel. Our conversation, our ministry, one to another, it's always the gospel. It's always the gospel. And we do this by the Holy Spirit who dwells in us. Now, Paul's going to give you two examples. He's going to give you a group 
that did not hold fast to sound doctrine. And then he's going to give you somebody who did. Let's take a look at verse 15. This you know, Timothy, that all those in Asia have turned away from me. Literally, they've deserted me. All in Asia, listen, there's, it could be two things. It could be a group of leaders that Paul taught and he trained and he invested his life in. And when he was arrested and brought to Rome, none of them stood and defended him. None of them wanted anything to do with him. They completely deserted the Apostle Paul. They did not want to have the same sentence as he did, being arrested, even to be executed. Or it could be he's just being, he's speaking in hyperbole. He's just exaggerating for the effect that all in Asia have left me. Regardless, and I think it could be either one, we know for sure Onesiphorus and Timothy did not leave him, so not everybody in Asia did in that regard. So it could be a certain group of people, or it could just be a way of speaking in hyperbole. One of the hard, listen, one of the hardest things in ministry is investing in people, teaching them the gospel, training them in the gospel, and then having them depart, having them leave. There is nothing harder in ministry. And here Paul, he's at the end of his life. He has spent his adult life from his salvation on traveling 20,000 miles by land and sea, missionary journeys, planting churches. He's teaching and training people, investing in their lives, and they do not stay faithful to the gospel, to sound words. They don't hold fast to sound words and guard the gospel. They don't finish faithfully. I can tell you, in ministry, that is the hardest thing. That is the, gr- the greatest thing to deal with, is people that leave and depart the ministry. He says, all in Asia have departed. They've deserted me. And then he names to that for all eternity, these two men are labeled this way, among whom are Phygelus and Hermogenes. We have no idea who these two men are. But no doubt they were taught by Paul, trained by Paul, they served with him, they prayed with him, they fellowshiped with him, and when it came time to be either ashamed of the gospel or to stand for the gospel, they were ashamed of the gospel. This whole theme of shame of the gospel flows in. Phygelus and Hermogenes left. We'll find out later Demas left Paul's ministry because he loved the world. Can you imagine? Wouldn't that be, wouldn't that be tragic to have somebody that's preaching faithfully the word of God and then because they love the world, there's, they're no longer preaching? I think Paul's telling Timothy, stay away from these guys. Don't be like them. Don't be like a Phygelus or Hermogenes. Do not be ashamed of the gospel. Do not be ashamed of me as a prisoner. But run faithfully the race that is set before you. He says in verse 16, another group of people, the Lord grant mercy to the household of Onesiphorus. All right, so Onesiphorus is another man from Ephesus. And Paul, for whatever reason, I think at this point, Onesiphorus is either dead or he's in Rome with Paul. His family is way back in Ephesus. So Paul says, listen, the Lord grant mercy to the household of Onesiphorus. Onesiphorus is gone. The dad is gone on a long trip, a thousand miles away. And the household needs to just to be given God's mercy as God cares for the family back home. But listen to what he says about Onesiphorus. For he often refreshed me 
and he was not ashamed of my chains. It tells me that Phygelus and Hermogenes, these two other men, and all of those in Asia, when it came time to be ashamed, they were ashamed. They wanted nothing to do with the cross of Jesus, nothing to do with Paul's ministry, except Onesiphorus. He often, many times, refreshed Paul. And I don't think he refreshed Paul just by giving him a, a, a check or something or, or you know, a new tunic or something. I think just his fellowship, being there. Paul needed that. We need, when the Lord sent people out in Luke chapter 10, he sent them out two by two. There was a reason for that. None of us are lone rangers. None of us go off on our own. But we just need that. We need one another. And Onesiphorus would often go and he would refresh Paul. He was never ashamed. He was not ashamed of Paul's chains. Verse 17, But when he arrived in Rome, he sought me out very zealously, and he found me. It appears that this place that Paul's in prison was hard to find. It was not like the rented house that had a sign saying the Apostle Paul lives here, but it would be hard to find. When Onesiphorus gets to Rome, his one desire is, I need to find Paul. And when I walk into that prison area and everybody sees me, they're going to know that I'm a friend of Paul, I'm going to be arrested. And it's possible, just based on how many of this is in the past tense, it's possible that Onesiphorus lost his life. And that's why Paul is saying, may the Lord grant mercy on the household of Onesiphorus. I mean, who, we don't know whether he's alive or dead, but he certainly is not ashamed of Paul's chains and he's willing to stand boldly for the gospel. So he earnestly searches out the Apostle Paul, knocks on doors, talks to people, lets everybody know, I'm looking for Paul. I'm looking for Paul, the Apostle of Jesus Christ. And he goes on and on and he's searching and he's searching and finally he finds Paul. Verse 18. The Lord grant to him, to Onesiphorus, now this is interesting, that he may find mercy from the Lord in that day. I think there's a great play on words. Paul is incredible in his use of the language. He says, Onesiphorus found me. Now I want God to find Onesiphorus at the Bema seat and give him great reward. Isn't that cool? Onesiphorus is searching, 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 and he finds Paul. And Paul says, God, I want you to find mercy and great reward for Onesiphorus on the day of the, of the rewards. Verse 18, the Lord grant to him that he may find mercy from the Lord in that day. What's that day? It's the day when Jesus rewards all the believers. Listen, everybody. 2 Corinthians 5 says that all believers will appear before the judgment seat of Christ. The judgment seat, it's not a courtroom where God is angry with us and he's going to punish us for the guilt of our sin. That was taken care of on the cross. The judgment seat of Christ, it's like a rewarding of athletes at an Olympic event. We're right now, we're running our race. And we're running, hopefully, according to the rules, and we're running with passion and endurance, laying aside the sin and the weight that so easily besets us. And when we finish our course and we die and we go to heaven, there'll be a time when we appear before Jesus and he will look at all of our life as a believer and he will give reward for those who are faithful, who endure t- temptation and successfully have victory. He looks at all of those things, our shepherding ministries, our giving ministries, our speaking ministries. He will bring it all into account and he will give great grace and mercy in rewards. And for all eternity in heaven, we will reflect the very glory of Christ. You understand that there's varying degrees of rewards in heaven. I think of it like, almost like light bulbs. For those with little reward, it's like a 10-watt bulb. Do they even make a 10-watt? I don't know. 
Um, for those who have served the Lord faithfully and humbly on earth, they're 60-watt bulbs or 75-watt bulbs or 100-watt bulbs. I mean, I think our crowns are not some physical thing that we stack on our head and we're, we've got lots of crowns, so I've got to be careful. I can't have any fun and run around in heaven because I've got these crowns on my head and they hurt. It's not, I think the, the degrees of glory, it's the ability to reflect light. God is light. And I think when Adam and Eve were in the Garden of Eden, they were clothed in the very glory of God. And when they sinned against God, they lost the ability to reflect his light and they found themselves naked and ashamed. When Moses was face to face with Jesus, his face shone like this, he, brightly from the glory of God. You're in the presence of Jesus, your face will just radiate glory. Stephen, when he was being stoned in Acts 7, he looked up to heaven and the council of Sanhedrin people, the Sanhedrin, they looked at him and they, they saw his face like it was the face of an angel. He was in the very presence of God. When we're in heaven, we will reflect the glory of God. We're not the light. We just reflect the light. Some will reflect the light to a greater degree than others. But does that mean we're going to walk around? We talked about this this afternoon. Are we going to walk around heaven and say, uh, He's a 50-watt bulb. Oh, she's a 60-watt bulb. There's a 100-watt bulb. I wonder what he did. And I would say the answer is no. There's a great hymn, The Sands of Time Are Sinking by Samuel Rutherford. And one of the verses says, The bride eyes not her garment, but looks upon her dear groom's face. We're not going to be looking at our garments saying, Oh, I wonder what they did to get so many rewards. I think of it like the night sky. When you go out and you look at the stars in the sky, there's all different degrees of light. Some stars are super bright and some are very, very tiny. Twinkle, twinkle, little star, really little star. Right? But you don't ever go up there and you say, oh, look at that dumb little star. It's so small and, oh, wow. Oh, look at that star. It's really big. You don't do that. You look at the heavens and what do you say? Whoa, the glory of God. Look at what he can do. All degrees of light. We don't pick one out and say, oh, I wonder what that star did to be so small. We just look at it all and say, how grand and glorious God is. When we get to heaven and we're all reflecting the light of Jesus, we're not going to be comparing ourselves one to another. We're going to say, look at what God does with redeemed humanity. And Onesiphorus is one of those. And Paul says, when Onesiphorus comes to the reward seat, God have mercy on him. Be generous and merciful to this man because he often refreshed Paul in his chains. But he ends with verse 18. Look at this. And you, Timothy, know very well how many ways he ministered to me in Ephesus. Many, many multifaceted ways he ministered to Paul. And Timothy knew about it. It's not that we brag about our ministries. It was just obvious. Take every advantage to minister. And you use your gifts in the local church. This is the place we exercise all of our gifts. This is how we show we love one another and how we love Christ. We need to be actively serving in our, in our body and building it up, loving, caring for one another, putting everybody else's interests before your own. Who cares who gets what credit and who cares? It's not about anything. We have no rights. It's all about Jesus Christ. He's the one that gets the glory. And um, Paul says, listen, Onesiphorus, he's a man you need to imitate. He was not ashamed of my chains. He refreshed me often. And he found multiple ways to minister to me in Ephesus. Timothy, you've got some bad examples like Phygelus and Hermogenes, but you've got some good men too, like Onesiphorus. Be like Onesiphorus. Isn't this a great book, Second Timothy? So let's just take a quick look at it again, just as we just close right now. Paul says to Timothy, 
Timothy, you have the gift of God in you. Stir it up. Use your gifts. God has given you all the power, the love, and the, self-judge, the, the sound judgment, the self-control to effectively minister your gift. But risk your safety. Stand up boldly for Jesus. Don't be, don't be, I was going to say, don't be a baby. Don't be a coward. Don't be a coward when it comes to the gospel. Stand up for the Lord. Why? Remember the gospel. Jesus saved you from the pit of hell. He's abolished death and given you life and immortality. And you can trust Jesus to take care of all that you've committed to him. But Timothy, not only did you commit your life to God, he committed to you the gospel. Don't tamper with it. Don't change it. You protect it and you give it out just as you got it. The gospel is simple and easy and it's easy to mess up. Don't mess it up. Hold fast to sound doctrine. Guard the gospel which God has committed to you and do it in the power of the Holy Spirit. Phygelus and Hermogenes, bad guys. Don't follow their example. They deserted me as many in Asia deserted me. But follow the example of Onesiphorus. This man refreshed me often, and when he came to Rome, he searched me and found me. He was diligent to go all out to efforts to find my prison cell. He came and ministered to me. And Timothy, you know this is a pattern in his life. It just wasn't a once-for-all deal. He did this in Ephesus many, many, many times. God have mercy on Onesiphorus when he shows up at the Bema seat. Isn't that great? That's the first chapter in a nutshell. All right. Beware of one thing. Churches, many churches of different denominations, and even Baptists, I'm sure, they say because Paul prayed for, it sounds like he's praying for um, Onesiphorus, and people think Onesiphorus probably died, and that's why he's saying, Lord, grant mercy at the Bema seat. Paul is not praying for the dead. Praying for the dead is not helpful because they're dead. Um, that's kind of obvious, isn't it? We pray for those who are living. Um, there is not a prayer for the dead in here, and people have taken this and made harmful doctrines out of it. Paul's not praying, saying, Dear Lord, I want you to... It's not that I... It's, it's Onesiphorus so ministered to me that I want the Lord to minister to him at the Bema seat, the reward seat. And I know sometimes people have used this text, especially in many, in many mainline churches, and said we need to offer prayers to the dead because... Paul prayed for Onesiphorus and he was dead. No. I don't see that in the text. What I do see is, let's be faithful and hold fast to the gospel. Anybody gives a different gospel? Avoid it. Avoid it. Let's pray. Father, thank you for our time together tonight as we think about Timothy and his final charge here to guard the gospel, to hold firmly to sound doctrine. Father, this Phygelus and Hermogenes who made a name for themselves by deserting truth and deserting the testimony of Paul, it shows what they were believing and what they were, what they were relying upon. But we also are thankful for a man like Onesiphorus, whose name is recorded in Scripture forever. He was a faithful man. He was a friend of Paul's, not ashamed of the chains. He risked his life to meet Paul in prison. And someday at the reward seat, you will give great mercy to this man. Help us to be men and women that will hold to the gospel and not let anyone tamper with it. We want to treasure the gospel, not just assume it. We want to love the gospel and think about the gospel and, and share the gospel with one another. So we're always reminded about your grace and your goodness. We deserve nothing. You've given us everything. Help us, Father, to treasure this and to hold fast to this so that someday at the reward seat, 
you can say, well done, good and faithful servant. Enter into the joy of the Lord. We are living for eternity. We are living for the glory of the Lord. And I pray that we'd be found faithful here on earth, holding fast to truth, to the gospel. Thank you so much for the work of Jesus Christ on the cross. May he be praised in our lives this week. And all God's people said, amen.